Uh, Let's go before the Lord this morning in prayer. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for an opportunity that we have now to consider your word. God, I pray that you'd be with us, that you'd encourage us, that you'd bless us. God, that you would knit our hearts together in love as we think about how we are called to live in light of your word, both as individuals and as a church. God, I pray that you'd give us not only ears to hear, but also hearts to obey. God, help us to not only be hearers, but also doers of your word this morning. God, work mightily and miraculously in and through this time. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So today we're going to be looking at Luke verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 45 through 46. If you've been here week after week, you know we've been working our way through the book of Galatians. And we des- I decided that today we would take a look at Luke and we would actually do a bit more of a Christmas message, if you will. So tonight, today we're going to look at 45 through 56 um, from this book. So if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Luke 1. 45 through 56. Or 40, yes, 46 through uh, 56. Sorry about that. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, His servant, in remembrance of His mercy, as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned home. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So you may be thinking, that's kind of an odd passage to be talking about on Christmas uh, Christmas Eve morning. But it's really not. This passage is frequently what is called the Magnificat. And it's, it's important that we study this on this morning because it's Mary's response to being told that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. She's told that she's going to give birth to the Messiah by the angel, Gabriel. And then she goes to visit Elizabeth. Elizabeth says, the baby within my womb leaped for joy at the fact that you came because the baby in my womb leaped knowing that he was in the presence of my Lord. And this is her response. It's a song that she sings in response to God's grace in her life. So this morning we're going to focus on verses 46 through 50 and consider the person of God. While this evening we're going to look more specifically at 51 through 55 and consider... Mary's declaration of what God has accomplished. So this name Magnificat comes from the Latin word meaning magnify. And it's named as such because Mary's opening statement, she says, my soul magnifies, or as the New American Standard here says, my soul exalts the Lord. The Greek word for magnify means to enlarge. And it carries the idea of praising or lifting up or increasing in honor. 
So when Mary is saying that her soul magnifies the Lord or enlarges the Lord, she's not saying that she makes Him bigger or that she makes Him grander, for that's not impossible. The Lord is already grand. He's already magnificent beyond measure. She's just saying that she now recognizes Him as bigger and grander than she ever thought possible. And that's my prayer that this Christmas, that at the end of this season, that you have lifted up the name of the Lord. That you see God as bigger, as grander, as mightier, as more awesome than ever before. So she's saying that she found a new understanding of God. That she has a new recognition of His greatness. Also in verse 7, Mary repeats the same idea. And she says, My spirit has rejoiced. Or my spirit has been made glad in God my Savior. Notice the parallelism here. She says, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in the Lord. And what Mary is doing is she's expressing the fact that she's overcome. That every part of her innermost being is overflowing with praise. All the way down to the division between her soul and her spirit which cannot be divided. She says, every part of me just overflows with praise in light of what God has just told me. In other words, Mary's response to God's grace in her life is worship. The natural response is to worship God. That's why I say week after week, if you're here regularly, you'll know that I say we must never lose sight of the Gospel. And you, some of you may even be tired of just hearing about the Gospel again and again and again. The good news, the good news, the good news. That's all He ever talks about. When do we ever move on to the meat? And the Gospel, folks, is the meat. We must never lose sight of the Gospel. This whole book is about the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That He died on the cross taking the, penalty, taking the punishment that we rightly deserved. And He was raised on the third day. That is good news. So that He might rescue us from sin. That is the good news of this whole book. And that is the message of Christmas. So we must never lose sight of that. So as we gather together each Sunday to worship Him corporately, and as we worship Him day by day in our personal lives, We must remember that genuine worship flows out of our entire being and it only comes from a proper understanding of the good news of Christ. So as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, just as Mary was doing with this song, so also our entire being should flow, should overflow with praise. In other words, what I'm saying is this, that remembering the Gospel, not just at Christmas, but day after day, week after week, remembering the Gospel causes us to join with Mary and say, my soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. That is the message that all of us as followers of Jesus Christ should say. So as we look at at Luke 1, verses 46-55, through we see a song of praise that Mary sings as she reflects on who God is and what He's done. And this can and should, I believe, serve as an example of what worship should look like in our lives. That's why we try to focus so much on the Word of God here at Harmony. We try to focus on God's Word, not because we want to worship this book, but because our desire to be Bible-centered is rooted in our desire to be God-centered. God has revealed Himself to us through 
His Word. And as we dig into this text, as we look at Mary's song, what we see is that she quotes Scripture. She quotes the Old Testament again and again and again, and she alludes to the Old Testament because she's so familiar with the Old Testament that when she sings praise to God, it's the Word of God that flows out of her. Every single quote is, an allusion, is at least an allusion to, if not a quote, to an Old Testament passage. In fact, it's so much so that some have said there's no way that Mary, as some 15-year-old girl, actually wrote this song. Some would say, some theologians would say, well, no, Luke probably added this later. Because there's no way she could have had a, a knowledge this theologically sound, this rich, that is ludicrous. She knew the Word of God. And she understood who God was and what He was doing when the angel Gabriel came to her and told her that she was going to be with child. And that she was going to bear the Messiah. She understood that. And when she was provoked, what, what flowed out of her was praise and ultimately the words of God. See, what I'm saying is that Mary interpreted her experience. She understood her experience in light of Scripture because she had a proper knowledge of Scripture. And I would encourage you to dig deep into God's Word day after day after day so that when trouble comes, when trials come, when problems come your way, that when you are provoked, what comes out of you is praise and an understanding of what God is doing because you have read the Word of God. See, when Mary reflected on God's goodness and grace in her life, it was praise, it was rejoicing that flowed out of her. So let's look at verses 46 through 50 and look at five characteristics we see, five characteristics of God that we see Mary declaring as she sings this song. So Mary sings and she says, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. So in these verses, we see five characteristics of God. The first point in your your sermon outline is, number one, He is Lord. Number one, He is Lord. In verse 46, Mary refers to God as her Lord. Now, I want to be careful here, because the Greek word here is kurios, which simply means kurios, which simply means uh, Lord, and it can also refer to just Sir. Like you, somebody could actually just use that title in a in a way where they're saying Sir. However, it can also mean Master or one who has authority, and that's what Mary has in mind here. She's referring to God as her Lord, the one who has authority. She understood that He had ultimate authority over her life, and that He could direct her life as He chose. This is clear, folks. It's clear from her stunning response when the angel Gabriel comes and announces to her what's going to happen. Look at Luke 1, 28-38. We read this. And coming to her, this is the angel Gabriel, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was perplexed at this statement. Favored one? How, how can I be a favored one? How, how is God with me? But she was very perplexed at this statement and was very perplexed and, and was kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. 
Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary understood what this meant. That the angel Gabriel was saying, this is the promised one. This is the Messiah. This is the one who would come and deliver deliver the Jewish people. He would rescue God's people from their oppressors and ultimately rescue them from their sin. So Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Since I'm a virgin, I can't give birth. I'm a virgin. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Mary said this, verse 38, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What great faith. Behold, the bondslave. I am but a bondslave of my Lord. May it be done to me as he wishes. You see, Mary recognized God's rightful place as Lord, as master of all things. This is a concept seen throughout the scriptures. Psalm 135.6 says, But whatever Yahweh pleases, He does. In heaven, on earth, in the seas, in all the deeps. Psalm 103.19 says, Yahweh has established His throne in the heavens, and His sovereignty rules over all. That He is King. That He is sovereign. That He has the ability, He not only has the ability, He has the right to do as He chooses. He has the right to rule, and He has the authority to do as He chooses. So having seen that He is Lord, number one, that He is Lord, let's consider the second point in our outline. The second characteristic of God that Mary declares in this song is number two, that He is Savior. Number two, He is Savior. We see this in verse 47. She says, And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. See, the implication is that Mary understood her need to be delivered. She understood her need for a deliverer, a rescuer, one who would save her from ultimate disaster, namely the penalty of her sin. Isaiah 43.11 says, I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides Me. God says, nobody! There's no Savior besides Me. Psalm 18.46 says, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. That God is the one who saves. And we say, how can we get to this place when all of the New Testament seems to point to Jesus as Savior? Well, clearly we understand that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And that's the thing we celebrate at Christmas, that God stepped into this world to save us. That all those promises of God saving us become real and realized in the work of Christ. Born as a baby, born as a man, taking the punishment that we rightly deserved. 
becomes even more clear. We, we see this in Titus 3, verses 3-7. through seven. Paul, writing to Titus, he says, We were once foolish ourselves. We were disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. This is our lives before Christ, folks. And we, don't, we think, well, I'm not that bad. I'm a pretty good person. And Scripture says, no, we're foolish. We're disobedient. We're enslaved to our lust. That we're ultimately either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. He says, this is the way we were, verse 4, but when the kindness of God our Savior, but when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. God our Savior saved us. Not on the basis of deeds, which we've done in righteousness. He saved us from our sin, not because we're righteous, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly, through whom? Through Jesus Christ our Savior. Catch that. Titus 3, he says, when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. How? Through Jesus Christ our Savior. He says, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That is the message of Christmas, that God saved the world by stepping into the world and becoming the Savior of men. That's why in Luke 19.10, Jesus says of Himself, He says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's also why Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15 says, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And he goes on and says, among whom I'm the foremost of all. I'm the greatest sinner of all, and yet I found mercy. So that it would be an example, I might be an example of God's patience toward all who believe in Him. So having seen, number one, that He is Lord, and number two, that He is Savior, let's consider thirdly, that He is mighty. Number three, He is mighty. This speaks to God's omnipotence. This speaks to God's all-powerful being. that He is all-powerful. In verse 49, Mary says, For the Mighty One has done great things for me. This phrase, the Mighty One, literally means the One who is able. She says, the One who is able has done great things for me. A humble bond slave. And it refers to the fact that God is capable of doing anything. This stands in, in connection with, even contrast to, to God's lordship or His sovereignty. His lordship or His sovereign, sovereignty speaks to His right to rule, that He is Lord. He has the rightful place of leading and ruling as King. But this speaks to His ability to rule. Not only does He have the right to rule, He has the ability to do it. This is much different than what we understand in our culture. We have presidents who have some right to rule, but not ultimate right. They can't do anything and everything. We don't have kings in our culture, so we don't understand what it means to be truly sovereign, to have that right. But we also don't have kings or presidents who have the ability to do anything they want. Praise God. Right? 
So Jesus is not only Lord, He is also the Mighty One. That God is the Mighty One, and we see this fulfilled in the person of Jesus as well. That He can accomplish what He pleases. Psalm 50, verse 1 says, The Mighty One, God, the Lord, has spoken and summoned the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. He controls the rising of the sun all the way to the setting of the sun. Ephesians 3.20, which we quote so often. I love this verse. says, He is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we can ask or even think. He's able to do more than we can even imagine in our minds. Daniel 2.20 says, Daniel, Daniel says, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to Him. It is He who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings. He establishes kings. He can do whatever He wants, is Daniel's point. That's why Job says to God, he says, I know you can do all things. All things, folks. We need to have a bigger view of God. Mary's a 15-year-old girl. An angel comes to her and says, you're going to give birth. Uh, I know you're a virgin. You're going to give birth. Um, and you're going to give birth to the Messiah, the one who's going to save people. He's going to save all people of all time from their sin, for those who trust in Him. He's going to reign and rule in righteousness forever and ever. And Mary says, Okay, so be it. As you say, I know that it's true because you're the mighty one. We need to have a bigger view of God, folks. Job says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. This is Job who suffered immensely, who went through immense suffering. This is Mary who was told the most unbelievable things she could ever think of. I get a hangnail and I forget that God's in control. I literally think, oh, well, this is it. This is far more beyond all that I could ever think or handle. And God's, you know, God's not in this. My life's coming to an end. He says, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God is mighty. Not only is He sovereign, not only does He have the right to rule over the earth, He has the authority, but He also is mighty, that He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He has the, the power, the ability to do as He pleases. So having seen that He is Lord, that He is Savior, that He is mighty, now let's consider fourthly that He is holy. He is holy. Mary ends verse 49 by saying, holy is His name. The term holy conveys the idea of being set apart or superior. And many, Mary understands that God stands above His creation. And that He's unlike any other. That He's perfect in holiness. He's set apart from the created world. For in 1 Samuel 2.2 we read this, There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you. Nor is there any rock like our God. There's no one who's holy like the Lord. Exodus 15.11 Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? The answer is no one. In Isaiah 6.3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. So God is set apart from His creation as the Creator. 
But more specifically, God is holy by the fact that He alone is righteous. He's set apart as the only one who is righteous, without error, without blemish, without sin. For Revelation 15.4 says, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify Your name? For You alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before You. For your righteous acts have been revealed. That you alone are holy. You alone are righteous. That nobody else can make that claim. So the whole world owes you worship. So having seen that He is Lord, He is Savior, He is mighty, and He is holy, let's consider lastly that He is merciful. He is merciful. Verse 50 says, And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. Psalm 86.15 speaks of God's mercy and it says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. D.A. Carson is quoted as saying this. He said, God being merciful basically means that when we deserve punishment, He doesn't punish us. Pretty simple. When we deserve punishment, He doesn't punish us. That's mercy. But instead, He actually blesses us. Is what God does. Mercy, He goes on to say, is the withholding of just condemnation. Mercy is withholding of condemnation that we rightly deserve. You see, Scripture says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That every one of us Scripture tells us that the whole Old Testament law is not meant for us to live up to it as we've been learning in Galatians. The whole point of the law is to show us our need for a Savior, that it's a schoolmaster to show us how far we fall short. I've said it before, it's like trying to throw a rock at the moon. I may get closer than you, but none of us will actually hit the moon. None of us are perfect in righteousness. And mercy is God withholding the condemnation that we deserve. D.A. Carson goes on and says, Throughout the Bible, God gives many illustrations of His mercy, but God fully demonstrates His mercy in Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the picture, the perfect picture of God's mercy. We read this in Ephesians 2. Paul explains this well there. He says this, You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. You walked according to the course of this world that you were enslaved, you were dead, you weren't alive spiritually, you were dead spiritually, and you did so according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. He says, among them, we all too formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in His mercy... Verse 4, but God, that ultimately the just penalty for our sin was death, was eternity in hell separated from God, but God being rich in His mercy. That's what Christmas is about. God being rich in His mercy and stepping into mankind, stepping into history to save us and be merciful. To us, He says, but God being rich in His mercy 
because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, made us alive together with Christ. God, because of His mercy, made us alive in Christ. So by way of review, Mary describes Lord in this song. Mary describes God in this song as her Lord, as namely her Master, one who has authority. She describes God as her Savior, the one who saves the one who rescues and redeems people. She describes God as the mighty one, the one who is capable, able to do as He pleases. She describes God as holy, set apart, perfect in righteousness. And she describes God as merciful, willing to withhold the punishment that we rightly deserve. So the question is, why would I choose this text the day before Christmas? Hopefully it's clear. I chose this text because Christmas is a declaration It's a declaration of the fact that God became man and dwelt among us to save us from our sins. The Christmas, we don't even know that December 25th, December 25th wasn't even the day that Jesus was born. It's not about December 25th. It's not about some cute little baby laying in a manger. It's not about Christmas gifts. It's not about Santa Claus. It's not about those things. It's about so much more than that. It's about Jesus. That God stepped into the world. And we should remember that day in, day out. I encourage you to remember that December 26th and December 27th and the 28th and every day. God stepped into the world to save us from our sins. And the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and he says, the Messiah is coming. And by the way, the Messiah is coming through you. And the only thing she can do is praise God for who He is. The only thing she can do is cry out and say, God, You are my Lord. You are my Savior. You're the Mighty One. You're holy and You're merciful. Praise You for that. Mary's response was marked by worship. And her response was a declaration of the greatness of God. So here's the big question. So how do we, as Harmony Bible Church, both individually and corporately, specifically, apply all of this to our lives. How do we take the fact that Gabriel came to Mary, he brought this message, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, she sees that Elizabeth is truly pregnant, she understands what God is doing, and she just cries out to God and prays for who He is. How do we take this and these attributes of God and then apply them to our lives here and now? Well, we need to remember, not only is God the sovereign Lord but He's also our personal Savior. She says, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Not only is He the Sovereign Lord, not only does He have the right to do as He chooses, but what He chose to do was be our Savior. Mary says He's my Savior. The Sovereign Lord, the One who could do anything He wants, the One who has all authority, chose to step into this world so that He could be your Savior personally. If you don't know Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to say, I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize that I need a Savior. And Jesus paid that penalty. I don't understand what it means to follow Jesus fully. I don't get it. I don't don't know what He's going to demand of me. But I know that I want to follow Him. 
I know that I love what He's done for me because I see the greatness of my sin and I see the greatness of His sacrifice and I need that forgiveness to be made right with God. It's not about saying a prayer or raising a hand or walking an aisle. Those things may be indications of you really doing that, but it's about a heart change. This is, I'm not depending on myself, my own righteousness, but instead on Christ and His righteousness, His sacrifice, for I know that I fall short. So we need to remember, for those of us who have done that, who are trusting in Jesus, we need to remember that the Sovereign Lord, the One who could do anything He wanted, who has all authority, stepped into the world to become our Savior. But then we also need to remember Not only is He the Mighty One, not only is He all-powerful and holy, He's set apart from His creation, He's distinct and different, He's not created, He's not a created being. And He's wholly righteous. He's the Mighty One and the Righteous One who can do anything He wants, who has the ability to, the power to do anything He wants, and is fully righteous. That not only is He mighty and holy, but He's also merciful. See, a mighty and holy God who is not merciful is a scary God. Our God is mighty and He's holy, perfect in righteousness, but He's merciful. He's willing to withhold that which we rightfully deserve. And this extends not just to Christians, by the way, folks. Because in reality, what every one of us deserve is instant judgment. God is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness. Today is the day of salvation. If you're not a follower, today is the day to call upon His name. God's not slow. He's merciful. For those of us who do know Jesus, we should praise God that the Mighty One, the Holy One, has been merciful. He's withheld the punishment that we rightly deserved that He kept His promise to Abraham and His descendants and all who would serve Him. That, folks, is what Christmas is all about. It's about a sovereign Lord who chose to be a Savior. It's about a mighty and holy Lord who chose to be merciful. So we should be like Mary and acknowledge our lowly estate. Just as Mary acknowledged hers, we should acknowledge ours and humbly come to Him and be overwhelmed by the magnificence, the greatness of God. And I say this, just in closing, I want to say this. Christmas isn't always the easiest time of year. We know we're supposed to be joyful. You know, and it's easy to talk up here and talk about the greatness of God and, and the, the joys of the Gospel. And yes, there are joys in those things, but that doesn't mean that we're always the happiest or that Christmas is always easy. I know some of you are going through some really, really difficult things. Imagine Mary... Right? She's a young girl. She's told this information. She has no idea what's, how this is really going to play out and what's going on. And in faith, she says, okay, I trust you. I trust you. I know. I know that you are my Lord. I know that you are my Savior. I know that you're mighty. I know that you're holy. I know that you're merciful. And that's what I'm leaning on. And I would encourage you this Christmas... Whether it's the best Christmas you've ever had or possibly the worst Christmas you've ever had, to trust in the God who is indeed Lord, Savior, mighty, holy, and merciful. And don't, don't trade the true joy of Christmas for something less. That's what we often do. We often think about Christmas as 
How happy can I be? You know, happiness comes and goes. But true joy that's, right, that's rooted in Christ, true joy is rooted in knowing who God is and what He's done. So let your soul magnify the Lord. Let your spirit rejoice in He who is both, both Lord and Savior, in He who is both holy and powerful, while also being merciful. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for who You are. Thank You for an opportunity to remember that. God, I pray that whatever trials come our way, we will lean fully on You, that we will trust in You, that we will praise You, God, not only for who You are, but as we will see tonight, for what You have done through Your Son, Jesus. Again, I just praise You for Your grace, Your mercy, Your loving kindness toward us. That while we were yet sinners, You sent Your Son, Jesus, to die for us, that we might be rescued. We pray all these things in His name. Amen.